What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That's right. We are back again on the Sports Card Show podcast. And uh, hey, got a fun show here for you all today. going to talk about, basically got three topics to, to run down. We'll talk about, check out my cards. I'll go through a little bit more in depth about uh, what I do as a buyer and a seller. So I was looking at my stats today, sold over 120,000 cards on check out my cards. And I've also purchased over 120,000 cards. So I have a little bit of experience uh, you know, on both sides. So if you're just a buyer, you're just a collector, hopefully I give you a couple tips today uh, that might save you a little bit of money. If you're a buyer and a seller, kind of like I am, not really trying to collect these cards, just trying to turn them over for a little bit of a profit. I'll talk to you about that as well. The one thing to keep in mind is unless you have a really steady stream of to source cards or you're really spending a lot of money and a lot of time on the site, it's not really a, a, an in, a income source for me, even though I've sold quite a few cards on there. And it is kind of nice sometimes when you hit that withdraw button and you got a little extra, couple extra dollars in your PayPal account. But uh, it's not really what I do it for. It's really just uh, something that I do for fun uh, in this hobby. And so uh, we'll take it from that angle, uh, you know, for some of you guys, you might want to make it an income source. I think you've got going to have to spend a lot of time and invest a lot of capital or invest a lot of cards, uh, kind of the same thing, uh, into the site in order to generate enough sales to kind of have a return, a regular return month after month. I think it's kind of difficult. Obviously, you'd have to be involved in all the seasons of the sports and all the products, and really be on your on your game. And for some of you, you might already be there. Um, so we'll talk about uh, that. But we'll t- you know we'll talk about what seasons I like to buy certain cards in. We'll talk about portfolio sales. We'll talk about how to get uh, or you know some tips on how to get the cheapest price uh, if you're a buyer, and maybe some of the little bit higher price or what you should do if you're a seller. And we'll talk about all that. We'll t- I've had a request to give you an update on my Amazon sales, so we'll run through that. I'll, um, you know, I'll preface it with I've had a little bit of a down year with Amazon. Not that uh, it's it's because I've had a rough time selling. It was all part of the plan was to in 2019 to make my year the best year ever. Remember, that's what we're trying to do here on our 11th season of the Sports Card Show podcast, trying to make it our best year ever. And for me, just had the birth of my second son, and so I'm devoting a lot of time uh, to my family, and that's a choice that, that I'm making. So don't have quite as much time to get out there and run around and try to get uh, some of the deals maybe around town that you can flip on Amazon. Although during the segment, uh, for the last two years, I've been flipping backpacks and probably have made you know a couple thousand dollars each year flipping backpacks. This year, completely, completely dry. Got a couple, uh, had a few in the closet left over from last year, but um, yeah, the backpack sales were uh, next to nothing this year. So talk about that and just talk about just in general, my experience. I think it's been maybe two and a half, maybe three years selling on Amazon now. And I'll talk, you know, I've had a private label product. I've done, uh, you know, retail arbitrage by buying stuff at TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Ross and stores like that flip things that way. And, but primarily what I do now is just simply buy wholesale and kind of do maybe some bundling or some repackaging or, or whatever it might be. Sometimes you don't have to do any of that. It's just buying the right stuff at the right time. Uh, so we'll talk about, uh, my progress. I'll give you what sales I have this year 
and uh, what my goal is going forward, because I really think this Q4 is, you know, it can turn kind of like an okay year, a year where I've been focusing really just on the steady kind of base hit uh, winners, you know, uh, in terms of products that I've been selling. Not selling as much volume, not selling as much quantity, not selling as much uh, dollar value, but my margins are up probably a good 4 or 5%. So I'm still making some decent money on Amazon. And so I'll give you, uh, you know, actually it's a really good perspective because I'm using Amazon as a fourth income, but, uh, you know, at, at some point I'm going to have more time to devote to Amazon. It Probably when both my kids are in preschool or in in. in uh, you know, grade school, I'll have more time to devote to this business. So I'll talk about that too, how, you know, I still really, really like Amazon and still really like it from that perspective that it's going to keep growing for me. And uh, as Amazon grows, I'll kind of grow along with it. So we'll talk about that. Finally, we've got to talk about the trimming. I wouldn't say a whole lot has happened since the National. I know that we had the FBI at the National. I know everybody was there, and everybody had a good time, and these trimmers were there. One thing that we did have was Collector's Universe, which is the parent company of PSA, had their quarterly conference call to update investors on their progress as a company. And newsflash to anybody that missed it, PSA had their best quarter grading cards of all time. And this is after nine years. PSA has experienced nine years of growth in the card and autograph category. Nine years. And they just had their best quarter ever. And during the quarter, the New York Times, the New York Post, uh, Forbes, SportsCardRadio.com, blowout cards were absolutely destroying them. PSA now has the largest amount of cards in their backlog, which basically means the largest amount of cards awaited to be graded is in PSA's headquarters right now. Guys, talking about trimmed cards when it refers to PSA slash Collector's Universe the stock is like asking a batter why the hell he struck out in the fourth after he hit a home run in the first, fifth, and seventh inning. PSA is absolutely blowing it out of the park. They had one of the best quarters I've ever seen them have in the midst of the trimming scandal. So do should you be aware as a collector, as a buyer, as a seller, should you be aware of the trim card scandal? Absolutely. But to translate that over to PSA the company and PSA the stock is not connecting. And I'll tell you why. It's really simple. It's really simple why even with all the trimmed cards and all this, all this uh, discussion on the forums, why PSA the company just continues to grow and grow and grow the card category. And it's really, really simple. It's very, very simple. And it's something that we actually talk about on the show, uh, you know, quite a bit. That when you show up at card events, there's a reason why you don't see guys with nice watches on. There's a reason why you don't see guys driving nice cars. There's a reason why you guys don't see these guys flashing money and waving their, uh, you know, four-incher around. They don't do it because they don't have any money. And that is the reason why PSA will continue to flourish 
despite all this trimming stuff. So we'll talk about that, talk about that angle. Also, what I felt was interesting on the PSA. So PSA had a call with investors, typically these companies, uh, mid to larger uh, uh, you know, public companies are required to have phone calls with investors. And four or five people called in and asked about trimming and asked about PWCC. And I thought some of the answers by PSA were actually very interesting about PSA, PWCC. So we'll talk about that. And that's about it. Maybe we'll squeeze something in right at the end. Uh, maybe about the stock market. I think we've, we're coming up in the back half of the year, kind of an interesting time uh, to be an investor in the stock market. I think this time last year, I was telling you, hey, they're going to start raising rates, and I don't think they should. And we had one of the worst Decembers of all time. Actually turned into a great buying opportunity if you're in there buying December, maybe even early January. Uh, you probably got some good prices on some stocks. We'll see what happens going to the back half of the year. We'll talk a little bit about that. Moving right into our first topic, we'll talk about check out my cards. Let's just jump right into it. So um, check out my cards. Obviously, uh, a site that I've been using for a long time. I can't remember when I signed up and when I started using it, but it was a long time ago. Up over 100,000 cards uh, purchased and sold. Uh, sold quite a, quite a few cards. Again, not as something I'm using to pay my bills or buy anything special. Um, it's really, I'm just in there kind of buying and selling cards. It's kind of fun. You know, sometimes you end up with some cards. I have quite a few cards just sitting over at Checking My Cards without a price on them, and they're nice cards. Uh, you know, you just get them for a nice price, or, or you just it, it just ends up with them. You buy a portfolio, and two or three of the cards are actually kind of nice, and you hold on to them. I got a lot of vintage cards. Bought a lot of vintage cards on Check On My Cards over the year and just left them on my account. Every time I look, they go up in price, so I'm not really in a hurry to sell them. Uh, so... But typically, that's not the case. You know, typically, you buy cards on there. And if you're trying to flip, I encourage you to, first of all, let's talk about mindset. So when you go on to check out my cards, what's cool about check out my cards, you have multiple accounts. So I'm up to three accounts right now. I'm looking to start a fourth with actually a listener of the show. And one way, one reason why I like to have multiple accounts, uh, this doesn't apply to everybody, but um, for accounting purposes, maybe one, uh, maybe one account you just use to send in cards. One account, maybe it's you and a buddy. Uh, maybe another account, it's you just want to start it with $100 cash and see how much you run it up to. Um, so you can always do that. So, But let's talk about mindset. So when you use Check Out My Cards, I, I think, again, this is from a seller's perspective, I think you need to have the mindset Turn off your collector brain. Turn off your, oh, I want to keep this. Oh, this is a cool card. Turn that off, guys. Look at everything on there as just a picture of a man, all selling for varying ranges of prices. And so start with that mindset that you're just on there buying and selling cards. And maybe pick a lane, too. For me, Personally, what I tend to focus on right now, when it comes to quote unquote prospecting, I focus on the NBA and I buy Prism Basketball. That's it. Do I end up with a few other cards here and there? For sure. But 95% of what I buy to flip for NBA rookies is Prism. Okay, it might be Prism Mosaic, it might be Prism Fast Break, but it's Prism. I like to stick with base Prism 
But if they're sometimes, you know, downstream in the Mosaic level and some of the other brands that they attach the prison label to, you can find some good, uh, you can find some good deals sometimes. And so I do that. So that I've made a conscious decision to when I flip something, I'm going to stick with this brand. Okay. With baseball, it's Bowman, Bowman Chrome. Okay, unless it's a, a special circumstance where the guy doesn't have a Bowman or maybe two or three years earlier, he had a, a Panini card that trades fairly well. Uh, I've done that a few times where Panini might have the only card uh, for the guy. He didn't even have a Bowman yet. A couple Giants prospects come to mind. The pitcher uh, that was Avon Rodriguez's son flipped a couple of his cards last year. And then this year, I think I flipped an Austin Slater card where he only had prism. And so it made it an easy choice. And I actually think that's a nice option. So, uh, you know, I set my focus on Bowman Chrome, but if I search for a guy and I see that he only has one card and it's a Donruss elite or it's a prism from Panini, I actually like that situation. Because then there's not that Bowman in there. And so if a guy really wants it, you know, he, he, he has very few choices. And oftentimes those Panini cards, before the guy kind of breaks out and gets in the majors, they can be very, very, very cheap. For example, I think I bought the Austin Slater for 99 cents and sold it for $19.99. So that, that's what I like doing. The, those are the sets I like to focus on. Now, football, I don't really... Focus on football. And that might be a mistake. It might be that I just don't have enough time. It might be an excuse that I'm making here. But if I were to focus on football, it would be quarterbacks and quarterbacks only. I think you could broaden your range a little bit with football and collect a, a few more sets other than prism or, prism or if you're going after autographs, obviously contenders and things like that. Um, but football is a little bit wider than uh, basketball and baseball, in my opinion. And that's why maybe I focus on basketball and baseball. Because it basically defines what I have to buy. And I like that. I like making very easy and simple decisions. Now, in terms of timing, I am buying NBA cards actually during the season. December, January, February, all through the NBA Finals actually is, in my opinion, a decent time to buy basketball cards. And you might want some examples, and I'll give you two. I'll give you a really, really good example and then one that's a little bit different. So Steph Curry, the year he won, I think he won MVP, and I think the Warriors won their first NBA championship. You could buy his Topps rookie card in December, January, and February for a couple bucks, and it was literally, you know, known that the Warriors were going to be contenders that year and Curry was having a hell of a season, but no one gave a damn. It wasn't until the NBA playoffs started and the Warriors made their, again, this is their first NBA championship run. And as they got further and further along, that tops, that base tops Curry rookie went up to, I, I, I'm, I think it was up to like 200 bucks. For a base tops, and we're not talking about the gold parallel or any of the parallels, talking about the base. Went from just a couple dollars all the way up to a hundred dollars, two hundred dollar card. In a couple months. The same thing, okay, not to that extreme, 
And this is actually a really good example. So over the last year or so, I didn't buy really any Lonzo Ball cards during his rookie season. Felt they were a little overpriced. Felt he was a little... um, He wasn't showing me enough on the court to make me want to buy into kind of his rookie year hype prices. So I waited a year and people started donking off his Prism rookies. And I started getting them towards the end of this year when he he, um, was having a decent year and then he got hurt. And the Lakers uh, season, LeBron got hurt and Lakers season kind of went downhill after that. And people kind of gave up on him. And I was picking up his Prism rookies regularly for a dollar. I don't think I ever got one under a dollar, but I've got, I know for a fact I got close to 50 of them for a dollar or a dollar five, dollar ten, right in that range. Remember off one guy, I think I got like 20 of them for a dollar. You can go look right now. I mean, obviously you have to be listening to this podcast right around uh, the beginning of September 2019. Those cards are now selling for over $3. Okay, Lonzo Ball, Hasn't done shit except gotten traded. He got traded from the the most popular team in the NBA to one of the you know the worst team in the league last year, or one of the worst teams in the league last year since they got the number one pick. They happened to get Zion, and I think people are anticipating kind of a an up and down pace that might favor Lonzo. He's certainly in the news a lot less since he got traded, but his cards have nearly tripled. In just a couple months. He hasn't shot a ball. He didn't play in summer league. But his cards have gone up. So there's an example of you can buy during the season. And then I like to sell. Actually, I've been selling Deer and Fox. And we'll see if this strategy. I mean, if you were selling Giannis onto Tekempo this time last year, his cards, you know, doubled. Um, But that's an MVP caliber player. Deer and Fox. Uh, Lonzo Ball, I don't think are going to be contending for MVP this year or, quite frankly, any year in their career. So I felt comfortable selling their cards during the offseason. That might sound kind of strange. Buy NBA cards kind of towards the tail end of the first half of the season, December, January, February, through the NBA Finals, really. Obviously, if it's someone like Curry or uh, Ante DeCampo, it might be a little bit different. But then I like to sell right when Summer League starts, right when the Summer League starts in the NBA, right after the NBA draft. Uh, For me, I feel like that's a good time to sell into some hype. And so that's what I've been doing. And then I like to follow that up with buying baseball prospects in October, November, December, January. But really November, December. I've I've looked back and I've picked up some really, really, really good cards um, in that November, December time frame. Juan Soto two years ago. Several guys this year. There was a guy on the Michael Chavis, I think, for the Red Sox. And several, several other guys. And so I really like that. The other strategy that my brother implemented this year with checking my cards and NBA cards was buy right before the summer league. Okay, don't buy guys that are not going to play in the summer league necessarily, but buy that like second tier guy that's going to go and have his second year in the summer league my brother bought silver prisms that like doubled in value. There was a guy in the Hawks that doubled in value. I think there was a guy in the Magics that doubled in value. There was there were several guys that went up very quickly over the summer league. So keep an eye on the NBA summer league 
Figure out who's going to play, who's going to have a big role. There was a guy in the Knicks, too, that his cards went up. You could get a silver privilege someone for two, three bucks. Now they're selling for five or six. Figure out who's going to have a role during Summer League and watch the hype begin. So that's my kind of first step. First of all, have a mindset. I'm going to go in there and flip cards. Don't go in there. If you go in there saying, oh, I'm going to buy a card to flip it and then I'm going to change my mind because it has a cool photo on it or because I might do the set. You're a collector. You're a fondler. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying don't use check out my cards if that's going to be your mindset. But if you really want to make check out my cards something uh, where it is does actually become an income source or you do get to the point to where you sell over 100,000 cards, you need to have the mindset that you're going to buy cards and sell them, not buy them, maybe collect the set, maybe ship it to you, maybe fondle it a little bit. That, that's not uh, you know, a flipping mindset. The second thing to do is get your seasons down. And I just gave you some examples. There's 15, 20 other uh, strategies that I'm sure would work or variations of strategies that I discussed. But for me, I like buying NBA cards actually during the season because I feel there's two-way upside. You have the upside like I talked about with Curry. So Curry went from a $2 card to a $200 card because he took his team all the way to the finals. Anta Tekempo probably had the same, maybe not that exact same trajectory, but a similar trajectory last year. The other thing I like to do is buy, um, you know, that second tier talent that's maybe only two or three years old, maybe waiting for their breakout, will have some hype heading into the season, the deer and foxes of the world, the Lonzo Balls of the world, the Kuzmas of the world, the Jason Tatums, and, and we can go on and on and on down the line. That, that's kind of the top, top tier. I'm sure there's other guys in there that, uh, that have seen their cards bump up as well. I like to focus on certain brands, so it's just quick and easy. And with baseball, I love, love, love figuring out who's going to get an opportunity because by November and December, baseball's over. And you should have an idea who's going to get an opportunity, who in AAA, who in AA is going to get an opportunity. Who's 26 years old in AAA and is going to get called up? That's not a great prospect, in my opinion, to get. But those guys' cards go up. You just have to buy them right, okay? That's the key, too. Being patient, not rushing into anything. That's why I talk about the mindset. Because if you have the collector mindset, you're buying, you know, as soon as this stuff comes out. Gotta wait, 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 wait. Just like I did with Lonzo Balls. If I had bought all through his rookie year, I'd be underwater. But instead, I waited, 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 waited until everybody started donking him off. And then all of a sudden, the price bottomed and uh, buyers started coming in. I think him getting traded was actually a really nice catalyst to that. Now, in terms of buying cards, I want you to always make an offer. Don't, okay, now, there are some exceptions. If it's just an amazing deal, the second lowest price is $2 and the guy has it for a quarter. Obviously, you're not going to stick, stick, you know, dick around for a, a five cents off. But on a standard card where it's 
25 cents is the lowest price and it kind of goes up steadily from there. Here's what I want you to do. So let's take that example. You're trying to buy a card, 25 cents is the lowest price and then it goes to 27 cents, 29 cents and so on. What I want you to do is don't make an offer on that 25 cent card quite yet. I want you to hold that card there. I want you to go to the guy that has the 29 cent price, the 28 cent price, and the 30 cent price and make them an offer under 25 cents. Because here's what most sellers are gonna do when you make them an offer. They're gonna click on the item and say, who has the lowest price? So a guy who has a card priced at 30 cents and you come in there and make an offer at 20 cents and then he looks at the item and, oh, lowest, I don't even have the lowest price. Lowest price is 25 cents. Guess what he can't do? And I have some morons actually do this but he can't really make you a counter offer above 25 cents. I found most of the time these guys accept this offer and then boom, you take that card off the table. Then go to another card above 25 cents, try to get it for less than 25 cents. Keep going until you kind of run out of room there and then come in and either make an offer on the 25 cent card if you can, uh, if not, just buy it outright for 25 cents. Now you got three cards. You cleared out some of the, the inventory that was a little bit higher price. You got the lower price. And now you're going to be able to start relisting cards. That is the strategy I really like to do. Hold that low price on the site. So if a guy has a low price, this is something also I like to do. Uh, maybe two sellers have really low prices and then everybody else is a little bit higher. I come in there and I try to get these guys to sell me the cards below what is the low price. And you'd be surprised. Guys do it. And then all of a sudden you can clear out the, the low prices that were already there. And now all of a sudden you control three, four, five cards. You've cleared out a lot of prices. You might be able to price it even higher than you would if you had just bought the 25 cent card. So don't, you see a good deal. If you see a great deal, an amazing deal, I, I encourage you to go ahead and just buy it. Don't waste the time with an offer. Because sometimes guys have stuff mispriced and they might get a low offer and go change the price. But hold that low price on there. Go to a couple prices above. Try to get it below that low price. You also, obviously you're trying to flip that card. You get an idea where those other sellers are too. Are they snap declining a, a price that, that's, you know, close to the low price? Then you know this guy, you know, really maybe doesn't really want to sell this card. So I really like that strategy is make offers, but don't let that low price get off the site until right at the end. Make offers on cards that are priced a little bit higher. Try to get it under that low price and then go in right at the end when you're ready to kind of wrap up the trade. Go in there and snag that low price card. Really, really like that strategy. Here's another strategy that I think is just common sense that I, so many sellers, you'd be surprised how many sellers don't have common sense on checking my cards and in the sports card hobby to, in, to begin with. We're talking about low IQ individuals here a lot of the times. So, um, auto accept 20% off on all your carts. Okay. The reason why you do that is the first thing you sh do, should do when you start listing cards for sale on check out my cards is check the little box. It might be default. I don't know if it is, but make sure you're cross listing the cards onto Amazon and onto eBay. Now the la the fees may have changed, but, uh, from the last time I checked, 
Check out my cards takes a 20% commission off any cards cross-listed on the eBay that sell. So if you check that button, you should then go and auto accept 20% off because if the card sells on eBay or Amazon, you're going to take 20% off. So why in the hell would you not take 20% off on check out my cards? You'd be fucking surprised how many collectors don't do that. They cross-list their stuff onto Amazon and eBay and take 20% off the price, but they won't do that on the site. It's absolutely stupid. You should auto accept 20% off and maybe more. I mean, I don't, depending on your pricing strategy, you're buying stuff really low and kind of tripling the price and then doing a 50% off sale, however you want to do that. But auto accept something. That's what I also think people should do. Just auto accept something, 5% off, 10% off, something. Because that helps a card move. Think about that. Think about you as a buyer. If you get just five cents off on a card or 10 cents off or a dollar, it just makes you feel better about the transaction, makes you feel wanting to do the transaction right then. You'd also be surprised how many people put in offers and then retract them later. Maybe they go find something else that they'd rather have and they start retracting offers. So get those cards sold. Do an auto accept. And if you're cross-listing on eBay and Amazon, you're basically auto accepting 20% off. Fucking do that to, on check on my cards as well. Okay, it doesn't make any sense. You auto accept onto eBay and take 20% off, but you won't take uh, 10% off on check on my cards. Doesn't make sense. So make sure you do that. If you want to sell cards fast, you send some cards in, you flip, you're trying to flip cards, you need to be the lowest price. Okay, maybe on some Ronald Lacunas or whoever's hot right now, Pete Alonzo, whatever. You didn't, I mean, in some cases, I don't try to be the lowest price, especially if it seems like two or three guys are just trying to race to the bottom. Just let those guys sell their cards off, keep my price high, and, and you know, it might take longer for me to sell my cards, but they'll sell at some point. But if you want to sell your cards fast, you need to be the lowest price. Don't think you could be the third, fourth, fifth, sixth price and it's going to sell quick. Again, maybe in some cases you have a buyer come through like with Lonzo Balls and some of these Prism cards. Maybe. But for the most part, you got to be the lowest price. Seems like common sense, but it's, it's not. Now, obviously, there's some variations there. You have cards that are condition sensitive, things like that, or maybe like jersey cards where you have like a two-color patch and the other ones are one color. You could price yours a little bit higher in that sense for sure. But in general, I think if you want to flip cards quickly, sell them on eBay. If you want to sell the cards for a little bit higher price, I like check out my cards. Now, check out my cards not always the higher than eBay. And in general, it might not be higher than eBay. But I've found you can get higher prices for cards on check out my cards than eBay. Part of that, I think, is the ecosystem that check out my cards has, where you have cards in your account and money in your account. And buying a card for maybe a dollar or two over eBay is, is not that big of a deal. When you factor in combined shipping on check out my cards, the fact the money's just sitting there anyways, um, or the fact that maybe some people are buying the card to resell it, uh, you can sometimes get a little bit higher price.
So don't be scared. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at now is I buy cards and either hold them like I did with Lonzo and Kuzma and De'Aaron Fox and some of these guys. I held them for a little while and then sold them when I felt the price started to appreciate to a level where I was ready to start unloading some. And so I think you can do that. Um, you know, you just want to just want to try to do the best you can with these things. Again, it kind of depends on how much money you're putting into it. it kind of depends on what kind of cards you're sending in, what your goals are. But you got to be the lowest priced to sell the cards quickly. Finally, port sales. So if you have a port that you want to sell, this is selling all your cards at once or kind of a group of them at once. I, I think it's an effective strategy, a strategy I've done. I think if you want to get into port sales, I think I would dabble with them for a while. Um, you know, spend a couple weeks monitoring the prices, what sells, what doesn't, what kind of offers people are willing to accept, what kind of offers people are not willing to accept. If you're selling your ports, you might want to think about who's the buyer on the other end. Is it someone buying these cards to flip them or is it a collector? If it's a collector, you might want to group these ports, all basketball cards, all uh, Atlanta Hawk cards, all uh, Chicago Cubs cards, all patch cards, all 2019 cards, things like that might get you more of a collector price. If you just have an eclectic bunch of cards that you throw up in a port sale, expect a lot of kind of low ball offers because think about it, a collector is not on check on my cards just trying to buy a bunch of crap. Okay, they're either trying to buy Cubs cards or they're trying to buy A's cards or trying to buy Lakers cards or whatever it is. Um, you know, so grouping it might get you the collector price. If you just bought really well, you can dump it off at a port sale. What I sometimes use port sales, I'll tell you what I use port sales more for now. I run through some inventory on an account and I get towards the end. I just throw it up in a port sale and take whatever I can get. Another strategy I know some people utilize, they get a bunch of cards really cheap. Then they get a couple like, uh, you know, uh, you know, top shelf or kind of safe queen type cards where it's like, ooh, this is a nice card. This is a nice card. Maybe four or five of them and the rest is garbage. So I, that's, that's a strategy in a port sale as well where you throw up a couple kind of like uh, make your eyeballs kind of white in cards you know, kind of flashy, kind of nice cards, some maybe semi-high dollar cards, and then a bunch of crap after that. So you could try that strategy. Uh, quite frankly, I don't hit the port sales quite as much. I, I feel like the level where I'm at, I'd want to play in them when I had thousands and thousands of dollars. And quite frankly, I have uh, maybe only about a thousand to play with on check on my cards, kind of liquid cash. I have a lot of it tied up in cards right now. So... And the game that kind of has been working for me, again, has been buying Prism Basketball rookies when the guys are in their second year. Should, maybe should have said that right to begin with. I would not buy Prism Basketball of guys in their current year. So, uh, you know, I, ha I didn't touch anything for, with Luka Doncic in it. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm starting to do that now, right before Summer League, I think is kind of when you can do that. And kind of moving into, you know, next year, but might identify a couple guys that I can do that. And with baseball cards, obviously I'm buying prospects that have kind of been through the minors and then are about to make the major leagues. That's kind of my sweet spot right now 
is buy basketball a year or two after the guy has, has had a rookie card, a prism rookie card. And with baseball, I'm buying guys that either get called up that day. I've done that several times with the Giants where I literally just go buy the guy's cards the days I'm t- tuning into Giants pregame and they're like, so-and-so got called up. I'll go to check out my cards and buy the cards. And every single time I've sold those cards, and some of them have been my, some of my bigger bigger winners um, in terms of prospecting. The other thing I've had luck doing is finding a couple baseball websites that just talk about, hey, here are the prospects that had a good year in the minors and that l- appear based on free agency transactions and kind of, you know, uh, the farm system. This is a player that's going to go from AAA to the majors. They're going to have a, pr- a premium opportunity in spring training. That's where I found you get some of the initial bumps is these guys have a premium opportunity in spring training to, to get an opportunity. They bat them fourth, fifth, you know, fourth or fifth or second or whatever. And they give these guys an opportunity, especially the prospects that are, you know, 24, 25, 26 years old that are pretty much kind of make or break time in their career. So I like that. That I mean, I think you could use bo- literally both strategies. And if you had a little bit, if I had a little bit more time, I'd literally monitor the the MLB transaction while during the season. And when a guy called up, got called up, obviously the Vlad Juniors and the uh, Fernando Tatis kind of players, everybody knows those guys, and every you know everybody's very aware. And the expectation level of those players is actually pretty high. And often the value of their cards are pretty high. I don't typically play in that sandbox. I play in the guy, you know, the Austin Slaters, the Derek Rodriguez, the guys nobody's heard of, really. They all of a sudden get called up to the majors. That That's the kind of player I like. And that's the kind of player I focus on. Again, that's what I do. I think you could take a variation of it. If you have more money to play with, if you have more desire, more knowledge than I do, you probably can take it to another level. So hopefully that quick, that was, you know, I try not to spread that. We could talk an hour about checking my cards and we'll, we'll keep talking about it as, as time goes on. But I kind of just give you an idea of, you know, we're sitting here in September. That's my mindset right now. I'm kind of blowing through my basketball, blowing through anything else I have. I got tops on pre-order. I get a case of everything. Sometimes I open the stuff up. Sometimes I don't. Um, I'm glad I didn't open up some stuff. I just sold a case of uh, Series 2 for uh, about 200 over cost. And after my shipping and, and stuff like that, I'll make 150, 150 bucks or so. So not bad. Um, but there's all kinds of opportunities out there. The Panini Instant Zion Williamson cards, where, uh, look, uh, Amber Alert, Amber Alert, guys, where are you? Why didn't you buy any of those? I bought 100 of them for 400, and uh, if I wasn't lazy, I could have gotten 1,000. I ended up getting 800 for them. I'll repeat that. You're a podcast host here who doesn't collect cards who doesn't have his ear to every checklist and every set that comes out, bought a hundred Zion Williamson cards for 400 bucks and flipped them for 800. 
just real quick, one transaction. If I wanted to sit there and one by one of them, I could have made maybe a little bit more money. I had them sitting in a box in my closet, like a lot of this stuff. And it sat there for a couple of weeks. I had some things to do with my family. I probably could have got closer to $10 a card if I would have sold them. Uh, Zion, what I wasn't anticipating a little bit is Panini's real, and this is good for Panini. Uh, and really what they should be doing is they've kind of gone all in on Zion. They've come out with a couple more Panini Instant cards. They're coming out with this Contender set, first off of the line. They're coming out with P- Prism Drapics. So I thought this Prism or this Panini Instant Zion that I bought was going to be one of his only cards before October-ish when, when Hoops comes out. But really, he's going to have four or five, maybe even close to ten cards before Hoops even comes out. So it kind of forced me to sell the card. Now, will I look back on and maybe have gotten $20 a card? Sure. Maybe, you know, if Zion really comes out really hot and the Pelicans are something this year and they're really compelling, I think they will be compelling to watch. Um, you know, if the whole team stays healthy and they have a play with a lot of energy... They could be a decent team, and those cards would be $15, $20. But that's not the mindset I have. I want to get stuff and sell it, get stuff and sell it, get stuff and sell it. I don't want to have a closet, and I have this kind of right now. I have like a closet full of shit, okay? Primarily because I have a bunch of other stuff that I am buying and selling really quick. I can afford to kind of sit on maybe a thousand or two thousand, maybe even three thousand dollars worth of inventory, and kind of decide what I want to do with it later. It's not really depreciating as as I sold a case of tops this last week. You know, it appreciated a little bit. I'm still sitting on the the. You know, I sold a jumbo case. I'm still sitting on the regular case. But the stuff, you know, either holds it value, and you might lose a little bit if you count fees and shipping. But you know, you you move on to the next product. So there you go. Check out my cards. Boom. We'll jump right into Amazon. And I really think, God, if you're, you have the collector mindset or the kind of the sentimental mindset, Amazon is not for you. You're trying to buy and sell on Amazon as fast as you can. They, especially if you're doing Amazon FBA, really, and in general, you're trying to buy and sell on Amazon as fast as you can. The fee structure, the way they have storage fees and things like that, um, You have to buy and sell very quickly on Amazon. If your product sits there for a long time, they will start charging you obscene amounts of money uh, for product that sits there for more than three months, especially over uh, 12 months. Anything close to 12 months, you better just throw it away or have it sent back to you. And it happens. Every once in a while, you have products that just sit there or whatever. And ideally, you want to blow these things out. But with Amazon, we could have a, a fi- five years of podcasts talking about selling on Amazon. The, the number one tip, if you're not selling on Amazon right now, the number one tip I have is to start selling on Amazon. And what I mean by that is don't go out and buy an ebook. Don't listen to podcasts. Don't uh, go, go on forums and ask for advice and say, I need you to help me. No, you need to just go and do it. Just start selling. Even if it's one thing or two things or three things, even if it's stuff you're not really making money on. I think everybody in this business, especially cards, they look at every transaction. They got to make money on every single transaction. I bought a card for 25 cents. I'm never selling it for anything less than 26 cents. That is the wrong attitude to have. Especially with, especially in any business where you're talking about inventory, but especially Amazon, you need to se- just sell stuff. 
Just get on there and sell. You could spend three years trying to become an expert and watching YouTube videos and going to seminars and talking with experts and getting consulting. You're not going to learn shit doing that. If you want to sell on Amazon, pause this podcast, go set up a freaking account and start selling. It's not hard. To me, that's the hardest part is actually getting started. Once you get started, obviously there is a crap ton to learn. Their interface is different. Setting up listings is completely different than eBay or anything else. Doing seller fulfilled prime and shipping and returns and communication. It all is different on Amazon and it's all to a higher standard. I would say with Amazon, like eBay for me is like single A. If all you've done is sold on eBay casually, going to Amazon is like going to the major leagues. Their tools and the way everything is set up is set up for large volume sellers. It's not like eBay where you can just throw up one listing, your video game system, or some shirts you found at Goodwill, or some cards that you have, and you just kind of throw it up there. Amazon's not like that. It's for professionals. It's for people that want to sell. It's not for people that want to list stuff and have conversations and chit-chat. It's for selling. The other thing with Amazon, and this is key, this is what a lot of people are afraid of in most industry, don't be scared of competition. And I'll put a little asterisk by this, and I'll explain the asterisk in a second. Don't be scared of competition on Amazon. If you get on Amazon and see all these products that you can't make money on and there's all this competition and that scares you, well, guess what? You're defeated before you even started. Yes, there's competition on Amazon. It's the number one e-commerce site in the world. Of course there's competition. But there's competition because there's a shit ton of buyers and there's money to be made. And if you start selling and start learning and start making mistakes, that's the key with Amazon too. You got to understand, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to send somebody the wrong wrong shit. You're going to label it wrong. You're going to send the box to the wrong warehouse. You're going to break stuff's going to break. Stuff's going to get returned. You're going to buy the wrong item. You're going to buy an buy a bunch of an item and then find out, oh, wait, you can't sell it on Amazon because the brand got gated. Or in my case, I sent 3000 This literally happened to me. And this was right maybe my third or fourth month selling on Amazon. I bought $3,000 worth of board games. I was approved to sell them, to send them into Amazon. So I bought $3,000 worth of board games, turned around, sent, them on, sent it into Amazon. As they're getting to Amazon, the brand decides to gate their brand, which means they only approve of certain sellers to sell their products. And guess what? I wasn't one of them. So that $3,000 worth of products that I bought all of a sudden had to be shipped back to me for a cost per unit. And I probably had 3000 tied up into those board games for all an entire year. So when I say just start selling, make sure if you do not have the ability 
to cover your inventory for several months because you make a mistake or maybe even a whole year, start really slow. Take baby steps. Only do a couple hundred dollars worth of inventory at a time. Let it sell through and then buy some more. For me, I can be a little bit more aggressive than that because I have access to credit. which is probably a whole nother discussion that we could have on Amazon. But if you're going to sell on Amazon, you need access to credit. Otherwise, it's just going to be a couple hundred bucks here and there, literally. If you do not have access to credit to buy $10,000 worth of stuff and sit on that for three months as it sells through, if you can't afford to do that, then Amazon is just going to be a very, very, very small part of your income stream. But if you have access to credit and you're not scared to use it and you're wise in which how you spend that and you ramp that up to a pace that you're comfortable with, I didn't just start out buying $10,000 worth of stuff and then seeing what sells. I built it up, built it up slowly, started seeing what sells. And then you start hitting snags. Like I said, I bought $3,000 worth of board games, sent it in. They're about three days getting to, three days from getting listed on the site. And then all of a sudden, oh, nope, you can't list these. You need to return them to yourself. So you can imagine what a pain that was. Now, my asterisk on don't be scared of competition. When Amazon.com is your competition, and you can tell this when you go to an item and it's shipped and sold from Amazon.com, I tend to avoid that. And I could go on about that. There are times when, yes, I do buy product when Amazon is the only one selling it. There are some times when Amazon doesn't go below my price and I make money and I undercut Amazon and I make money. That's few and far between. But I will say, We'll say this about Amazon being competition. It's getting less and less because if you follow Amazon and you follow Jeff Bezos, he releases a, a letter every year kind of giving a you know, state of the union, so to speak, on Amazon.com. And the, the first thing he led with this year was third-party sellers, which is you and I. He talked about how third-party sellers grow faster and are more profitable, essentially more profitable for Amazon than Amazon buying the stuff themselves. And so what I've noticed, again, this is just in my circle of products, probably only have about 100 SKUs, 100 items that I'm selling at a time. Amazon has started to pull back on the number of items they're selling on Amazon.com. And so I've actually been able, in the past, I've gotten undercut by Amazon, stopped selling an item. I've noticed now Amazon's off that listing. They've stopped selling. It. I've been able to come back and, and start selling that item again. Not saying that's going to be true with all items. Popular items on the site, items that sell very quickly are always going to be so- shipped and sold by Amazon. But what I have noticed is they've pulled back on a broader range of SKU that doesn't sell quite as well. Amazon's just let, really, I think they've made an internal decision just to let the third-party seller pick up those sales. And so I, I've actually found that very, uh, you know, very helpful. This Just in the last couple months, I've noticed that, uh, really since Jeff Bezos kind of came out with a letter kind of highlighting that. 
and I think it's still working its way through the company, that idea where we don't need to be the primary seller on such a broad range of items. We need to let the third-party seller do that because they're a little bit more profitable and more efficient for us in that sense. Sell in categories with low return rates. So if you're into fashion, if you're into stuff like that, you're going to have really high return rates. I sell trading card supplies, board games, trading card games, things like that. Very, very low return rate. In fact, I'll, show, I'll tell you my returns for the year. For the year, I had 38000 Again, this is through eight months or so, eight complete months. I had $38,000 with sales, which is quite a bit off from last year, but... Uh, again, I have my reasons for that. Not excuses, but reasons. It, it was a plan. Uh, I have only $733 in refunds. So when a refund comes through, it's literally, I, I just snap accept the refund. Snap, give the money back, okay? Like, for example, I just got a backpack the other day. The guy said it was too small. I get the backpack back. The tags are cut off. And it's obvious the guy probably used the backpack. I could probably dick around and spend 15, 20 minutes of my time getting that refund reverse or getting partial, partial reverse. But guys, I had $733 in refunds off $38,000 in sales. Why waste my time? I've sold 2,315 units. My costs are $30,619 and I have a profit of $7,749. That is a 20% margin. There's probably three points of margin that is not included in here. I haven't updated my accounting for the whole year yet. Uh, probably only have three months of some expenses in here. Like I said, that my profit margin is probably closer to 16, 17% than 20. And I've probably made closer to $7,000 and not closer to eight. And while $7,000 over eight months uh, is not going to feed most families or any family, keep in mind this is a fourth, almost fifth income stream for me. So ask yourself that question. What would you do with an extra, we'll call it $1,000 a month? Again, for some of you that are deep in the hole, living in your mom's basement, have a, so just spent 20000 on a bunch of trim slabs that aren't worth anything now, $1,000 a month is not going to get you out of the hole. But for some of you, $1,000 a month might you know, move you from uh, uh, not living super comfortably, maybe putting your head on your pillow, wondering how you're going to pay a couple bills, to now it's like, oh, I can pay those bills. I've got Amazon. And that's it with me. For me, an extra $1,000 a month with two growing boys that are eating more every day, that are starting preschool and starting private school in the next couple of years, th- this Amazon money is going to help me maintain my lifestyle. And as you guys know, I live a fairly, uh, what I would refer to as a luxurious lifestyle. At least I try to. Since we last talked on the pro- program, I took... Our, my family took an annual Monterey vacation. And yes, the hotel room looked out on the ocean and was right there on the ocean. There was nobody between me and the ocean. I got a new air conditioner put on my house. God knows that wasn't cheap. Did have the home warranty pay for about half of it, but uh, yeah, I had to come up with the other half. And oh, did I tell you guys I bought a new 2020 Mercedes-Benz. 
That was about three times as much as my previous one. All in a year where I'm actually working less, spending more time with my family. I'm actually volunteered. Last year, I volunteered on Tuesdays and Thursdays for about an hour and a half each day. I volunteered three hours a week. Now I'm volunteering four and a half hours a week. So I'm volunteering my time more. I'm working less. I'm actually making less money across the board. But I'm still taking Monterey vacations, still buying the nicest Mercedes I can afford, still able to pay for an air conditioner on my house, still able to pay for expenses that come up. That is because there's about four or five other businesses that I haven't talked about on the program and probably won't that uh, actually are growing faster and, uh, and growing bigger, might end up growing bigger than my Amazon business. And I might talk about those uh, one day in the future. But for now, we'll keep mo- moving with Amazon. With Amazon, I think the key with Amazon is sell items that are replenishable. Most of you guys listening are card guys and card fondlers, and you're used to pulling one card and listing it, pulling another card, scanning and listing, getting another card, scanning and listing, another card, scanning and listing. Amazon is much, much, much better if you find an item, list it, sell it, and then just replenish the inventory because the way Amazon works, and I love Amazon for this reason. Once you start selling the same item, so for, for example, for me, like a plastic box that you put cards in. So I buy a 25-count box that you put plastic cards in, and I start selling it on Amazon, and it sells through. And then I buy some more, and it sells through. Amazon starts to suggest how much I should buy and when I should send it in. And I can't tell you how easy this makes my life. I, all I do for reordering with Amazon is I don't have any spreadsheets. I don't have anything. All I have to do is there's a section on, it, on your Seller Central that says items to, uh, to restock or something like that today. And you click on it and it shows you, here's the item, here's how many you have in stock, here's how many you need to buy and send in. And it's not 100% accurate, but it is very, very... In fact, most of the time, I actually find that they underestimate how much you can sell. So if they sell you to send in 10 units... Again, this varies, varies item to item and category to category. But in general, what I find is if they tell you you can send in 10 items, you can very, very, very comfortably send in 10 items. You might even be able to send in 15, maybe even 20. Again, you make those judgments as they come along. And the longer you sell an item, the more accurately you can put your knowledge onto what the computer at Amazon is telling you. And you can very, very accurately predict your inventory. And that's really been key for me this year. Again, my sales are down. My profit margin is up a little bit. I'm still making decent amount of money, you know, enough to make it definitely worth it. But what's different this year is I have way, way, way less inventory. I have less inventory at home, sitting here in my room, in my offices, in my garage. And I have way less inventory sitting in Amazon. I always just have about three months of inventory sitting there. 
In fact, I think my days in inventory is only about 37 or 40, somewhere in there, which I believe means the average age of inventory is only about 40 days, which is pretty good. That means the inventory is turning very quickly. That is because I'm selling items that I can get again and again and again. It's not one trading card I buy once and then sell it. I can sell it again and again and again and again and again. Makes it very, very easy when you take out that listing stage where all I do is buy, box, ship it to Amazon, done. Whereas most of you guys are used to buying a product, scanning it, listing it, pickpacking and shipping it, and, find, and doing that process again. With Amazon, they do all the pickpacking and shipping. Once the listing done, it's over. The listing's up there. All I have to do is buy and send it into Amazon. Much, much easier, in my opinion. Here's a super, if you've hung with us, here's probably one of the best tips I'll give you for finding products to sell. So on Amazon, you probably should do this uh, not on the phone. You should do this on a, a tablet where you're hitting the desktop version of Amazon.com or do it on your computer. So inside different categories, so you can go to an item the easiest way to do that, the easiest way I find to find this is actually go to or do a search term. So Ultra Pro or Tops or um, Nike or whatever, whatever you're trying to sell. So you can do a search and then on the sidebar should be search for items that are out of stock. And here's how I like to get to this. I like to find a popular item in a category. So whether it's board games or dice uh, games or um, card supplies or whatever. Go to the top 100 list or whatever. So on, a, on each item, there's a seller's rank. And then it says this item is ranked uh, 98,000 uh, you know, in the category. Click on that and it takes you to the top selling, uh, top selling items in that category. Now what I like to do is click that box, show me the items that are out of stock. And anything in the top a thousand or 10,000 of a category that's out of stock is going to sell the minute it gets back in stock. I've actually experienced this um, over the last couple of weeks. What I've done, uh, the other way to do this is sell a bunch of stuff. And then after a while, go back and look at some of the items that you sold in the past and see what the price is now. And I noticed one of the items I used to sell back, you know, only a year ago was now completely out of stock on Amazon. And I looked at my distributor, he didn't have any, but then I went to eBay and found somebody selling the product actually cheaper than what my distributor was going to have it for. So I went and bought, I probably bought seven, $800 worth of stuff from them. And then I just turn around and send it in Amazon and it's been snap selling because I'm the only one on the listing and it's a popular listing that happens more often than you think. And it, certainly if I had more time to research this or if I could train in the past, I've had uh, VAs kind of trained to do this. Um, go and look for these popular items that are out of stock. And if you can source them, typically I search for brands and, and uh, products that I have uh, you know, uh, uh, knowledge of and I have a supply chain for. Um, you can find items that are out of stock. You can get them in stock and be the only one on the listing. And trust me, when you're the only one on a listing on Amazon and it's a popular item, you're going to make a lot of money. 
The other way to do that is create your own listing. Now, what Amazon doesn't want you to do is if there's a listing already for a 25 count box, they don't want you to create a second one. And if you do that enough times, Amazon's going to say, no, 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 stop doing that. But what you can do is instead of selling one plastic box, sell two of them together, sell three of them, combo four pack, combo five pack, combo 10 pack. To me, that has been my greatest advantage. Instead of selling one item, I can sell four. I can save the customer money because I can sell a four pack at a per unit price that's cheaper than a one unit. And on top of that, I'm the only one on the listing, at least for a period of time. Most of the time, I found you're on the listing for a long time, sometimes for more than a year. One product in particular, I've sold thousands and thousands of dollars worth of this product, and nobody else is on the listing. So that is, those search for items that are out of stock or bundle two items together that are complementary or bundle, you know, do a multi-pack where it's a two-pack, three-pack, five-pack, whatever it is. Or sometimes I found with the supplies, do black and white, do black and blue, do, you know, do black, blue, yellow, and orange. You can do all this, start bundling it, and uh, be the only one on the listing. It's a way to kind of sidestep competition, at least for a period of time, and maybe for a, quite a, an extended period of time, and really churn through and run through a lot of inventory. I find that very awesome. One thing I've done uh, just over the last maybe two months is I've expanded selling into Canada. And while it's still a very, very low percentage of my sales, I've found selling into Canada has does have its benefits. Number one, there are far less restrictions uh, selling on Amazon Canada. And one of them is the sports card category. So you can sell hobby boxes uh, into uh, Amazon Canada, uh, no restrictions, no application, nothing. You can just sell hobby boxes straight up. And I've actually sold through a decent amount of inventory that way. Can't list it on Amazon.com. Don't really feel like listing it on eBay. But I've been able to sell it into Amazon Canada. And after you minus out the exchange rate and the shipping and all that other stuff, you make about the same as you would. But it kind of, for me, it kind of opens up a new channel. The other thing I found is like Star Wars toys and Disney and Hasbro, they gate their category pretty darn well on Amazon, but they don't on Amazon Canada. So if you can get a good deal on a really popular board game or a really popular Star Wars figure or a Funko figure or whatever it is that sells really well here in the U.S., chances are price sells well in Canada. I got some Wayne Gretzky ones that, that, I mean, they snap sold in Amazon Canada. That's the other thing you can do too is focus on hockey. I have some hockey supplies that I had a hard, I bought a pre-ordered a whole case of these hockey supplies only to find out it probably wasn't going to make much money flipping on amazon.com. But what I found out is, oh my gosh, they move pretty well on Amazon Canada. Got some Wayne Gretzky, little Funko figures. I'm gated out of the category on amazon.com. Don't really feel like selling them on eBay. Boom. They sell a snap sold on Amazon Canada. Sold some goggles that was I was uh, gated out of. 
uh, that I bought it. I think I bought it at like TJ Maxx or a Ross, bought them for like $4 a piece, sold them for like $25 um, Canadian, obviously. Um, you know, again, your margins tend to be about the same after you factor in conversion rate and the shipping and all this other stuff uh, ends up being about the same. But um, again, it opens up another channel, a slightly less competitive and slightly less restrictive channel. And if Amazon Canada grows, you'll be able to grow along with it. The other thing is, is if Amazon, doc, Amazon Canada keeps getting more popular, they're going to start gating off the categories, but you can get grandfathered in and then imagine that. Amazon Canada becomes a pretty big marketplace. They start gating off the baseball card category, gating off uh, Star Wars and all this other stuff, and you get grandfathered in. Oh my God, that might be become a bigger U.S. a bigger business than your your U.S. business. So I'm kind of just starting out Amazon Canada. There's Mexico, there's Europe. I'm gonna start exploring all those once I kind of get my wheels spun uh, with Canada. But that that's another thing is you start moving uh, again. You got to just start with all this stuff, and then all this other stuff starts opening up to you. Finally, the last thing I think you should do right when you sign up for your Amazon account, or if you already have an Amazon account, get on the waiting list for Seller Fulfilled Prime. So Seller Fulfilled Prime is just what it sounds like. You get the Prime badge on your listing, but it, you don't have to send it into Amazon's warehouse. I'm shipping, I'm literally sending Amazon Prime customers Prime shipping from my house. Okay, I'm only sending, I live out here in California, so my prime region is California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Nevada, that, you know, Utah. So anybody, and for me, I live in a bit, California is a huge market for Amazon. And so I sell a lot of stuff to California and uh, having seller fulfilled prime, I sell a lot of products. Here's where it comes in handy. You might wonder why should, first of all, seller fulfilled prime used to be able to apply for it and pretty much get approved. Or it might've been invitation. I think I got invited to it and then I got approved for it. Now I believe there's a waiting list for it. So that's why I'm telling you, go apply, go get on the waiting list for seller fulfilled prime. So you get in the queue and then eventually you get invited and approved for it. Here's where it came in handy for me. And it would have came in handy uh, last year. I don't think I had Seller Fulfilled Prime last year. Would have came in handy last year is when you get that hot seasonal item. For me, the last two years, it was backpacks. So back to school backpacks. You could buy them all day where I lived for about $20 each. And you could flip them on Amazon for $60, maybe $70, even $100. I remember buying some Under Armour backpacks with the Notre Dame logo on them. Buying them for like $30. Bucks. Those would sell for like $120. I used to have to get those, box them up as fast as I could, send them into Amazon, wait a week, two weeks for them to come live. By then, a bunch of sold. Maybe kids have gone back to school and the market for them kind of fizzled. But with Seller Fulfill Prime, I can go and buy something, list it, get it on the site, and have it be Prime eligible all instantly. And that helped this year. I, I, I probably only bought maybe three or $400 worth of backpacks this year, whereas in the past I've bought five, six, maybe even close to $10,000 worth of backpacks all in a couple weeks' time. This year I just... I only went to the couple stores where I used to get them around here and they didn't have shit. 
I, maybe I could have drove to Sacramento or drove to the Bay Area. I could have found more. Probably could have. But um, just based on what I saw in my local area, I wasn't going to risk you know, driving 40, 50 minutes in traffic and striking out. So I decided to, you know, uh, that's the other thing with Amazon. You know, something might be good for two years. These backpacks were really good. And I couldn't wait to sell backpacks this year again because I, I know the market. I know which ones sell. And I know how quickly you need to sell them. Uh, just couldn't get it done this year. Again, I only probably bought a couple hundred dollars worth. Made money, made a little bit of money, but it wasn't like you know last year where it's like you know you make a, a you know you spend four or five thousand, maybe seven, eight thousand, and you make uh, maybe fifteen, twenty percent on that. Um, you know, it's actually some some significant money. Whereas this year, you know, it's probably only a hundred bucks or somewhere in that range. So. There's my Amazon for you. Just the, the number one thing, guys, is just get started with it. You could overwhelm, this is the thing with Amazon, you could overwhelm yourself trying to be prepared and trying to watch YouTube videos and listen to podcasts and gurus. Fuck all that. The best lesson you can get is just go sign up for an account. Go get a couple products and send them in and start selling. Start there. Because if you can't start there, don't get the guru and the, the spend time watching videos and all that. You're going to be wasting time. If you can't get the motivation to just start and get rolling, start making mistakes. Okay, that's actually the core of Amazon. If you're an employee of Amazon, they want you to make mistakes. They tell you to fail very quickly at Amazon. Amazon has had tons of like flops over the years. But a lot of those flops had led to bigger and better things. And so that's the attitude you want to take in Amazon. You're going to start on Amazon. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to get policy violations. I encourage you to try to avoid policy violations. Try to avoid mistakes, but it's so difficult with Amazon, especially the deeper and deeper you get into it. You're going to have policy violations. You're going to have people make complaints. You're going to have one-star reviews, things like that. It's how you learn from that, bounce back from that, and move forward. That's the key. So you got to start. You got to jump in there. You got to start getting after it. And just, again, I'm in a year, 2019. I'm making less money. I'm working less, spending more time with my family. And I'm still chopping out about $1,000 a month from this Amazon thing. I see it in the next maybe two years. I still got it. You know, one of my sons is barely six months old. And the other one's like not even three. So, the, you know, these kids need you the whole day. You know, there's not, 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 that's why we don't have many of these podcasts. Okay. I don't have a lot. I, I happen to have a Pepsi for dinner. And so it gave me a little bit of energy. Otherwise I'd be asleep on the couch right now. So I'm in a year where I'm making less money, working less, but I'm still chopping out a thousand dollars a month on Amazon. Again, it's not going to pay for my lifestyle. That wouldn't even pay for my car payment, let alone the insurance and all the other stuff that goes along with it and the gas. But, you know, the extra $1,000 a month does come in handy. And I see it as something, again, once my kids aren't as hands-on as they are now, I'll have a little bit more time, a little bit more flexibility. 
to expand this back into the two. Th- it was a, I was probably closer to to fifteen hundred to two thousand a month. At some months, even a little bit higher than that. I can easily ramp it back up to that. I've got told. I've got even more access to credit. And I'm actually in a beautiful, I'm, this is why I'm so excited about Amazon heading into the fourth quarter is because I've literally cleared off all my credit cards. My credit cards are all basically zero, essentially zero. I have tons of room on them. So I'm going to be able to go really, really, really deep over the next two or three months on Amazon. And I'm actually going to go, I'm actually going to go pick up the inventory uh, here in a couple weeks. I'm actually going to go to Reno I'm going to take my brand new GLE 450, fold the seats down, and load that motherfucker up. And come home with probably maybe six or seven grand worth of stuff that's probably going to take me all the way through December. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. And I'm excited to hear about any of your guys' progress or well. You can always send me an email at sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can get at me on Twitter at sportscardradio. I'm also now on Instagram. I'm fucking on Instagram at sportscardradio as well. Go ahead and follow me. Uh, If I don't follow you um, on Instagram, just send me a message. Send me a message on Instagram or send me a message somewhere and just tell me to follow you. Okay, I don't get on Instagram very much. Um, I'm trying to post photos of things I'm selling and things like that on there. I think that's kind of how I'll use that. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter, I'll be a complete fucking asshole. And if you send me an email, I may or may not respond. So there's the, there's the caveat to, to all that. But I do like hearing about your guys' progress or at least seeing it. So if you have some flips that you've done on Amazon, just tag me. I, I'd love to, love to see it. Guys, some guys are doing that on Instagram. That's why I kind of like Instagram right now is, is people, uh, I've posted some check on my cards flips. And so what's happened is like other people have tagged me in their flips. And so I look and see what they're selling. I'm like, holy fucking shit. Wish I could do that. And so that's what I like. So if you're flipping stuff on Amazon, flipping stuff on eBay, flipping stuff on on anywhere, tag me in it on Twitter, on Instagram, or whatever. I'd love to see it. Love love to, uh, love to see your progress uh, as you because uh, a lot of you guys have maybe have more. You don't have two kids that are under three. You don't have a newborn. Okay, you don't have four other sources. The other thing too is I have other uh, other money coming in. Okay, and then I have money saved. So I'm not, I don't have to have my foot on the gas on this check on my card stuff, on this Amazon stuff, on eBay. I'm actually doing more business on eBay right now uh, than I probably have ever done in my life. That, that's a whole nother story on itself. My brother could get on. I literally called my brother. This was about a month ago. I called my brother and I told him, I'm going to start buying this shit and selling it on eBay and I'm going to make money. And he kind of was, you know, smoking a blunt or whatever and kind of blew me off. Well, two or three weeks later, he's actually selling more of these items than I am right now. So there's all kinds of opportunity out there. And like I said, right now on eBay, I'm probably selling more on eBay. I've been on eBay for like 10 years, 12 years, actually longer than that. I've been on eBay for almost 20 years. I'm probably selling more on eBay right now today than I ever have in my life. And it's not a sports card product. It's uh, not a sports card supply product. It's actually a u- used item. 
I'm actually making money buying stuff that is used and selling on Amazon. Now, uh, on eBay. Now, I'm not going to thrift stores and finding one-off items. I've talked about this on the show in the past, and I'll just talk about this really quick, and then we'll get into card trimming. Um, I've talked about in the past. I, I don't mind if you have like a honey hole in your area, whether it's a thrift shop or a series of thrift shop or a consignment center or whatever, or garage sales or estate sales, and you want to go there and buy stuff and flip it, I don't mind that at all. But for me, that's always going to be a side income because it's going to be just like backpacks and things like that. It's going to be seasonal. It's going to be hit and miss. Again, if you have a honey hole or if you have something that just keeps on giving and giving, that's a little bit different. What I have found is literally a replenishable item that you can buy used. You can buy it used all day all day long and sell it on eBay for a 20%, 30%, maybe even 50%. My brother's making like hundred percent margins. He's literally buying stuff for a dollar and selling it for 40 and he's doing it all day long used buying it for a dollar, selling it for 40. And it's not once in a while, once every blue moon, once if he gets lucky, he has to dig for it or get lucky. No, it's literally, I can go here and buy it for 99 cents, put it on eBay, and two days later, I'll sell for 40. Not joking. Those opportunities are all over the place right now. So that's why I'm kind of like, eh, whatever about Amazon. I've got some websites that just kind of print money as well. So, um, but Amazon is always going to be there. And I'm still kind of working and building it up. And like I said, I'm going to go get a big order for Q4 and hopefully just really have a big, big, big Q4. Where instead of making $1,000 a month over the next, uh, call it four months, I make closer to maybe $2,000 a month. And that would put me well in line with last year's profit that I made all of last year. I think, off, again, off the top of my head, I think I had about $80,000 gross sales last year on Amazon and I netted about 10000 I think there's a good, good, good chance I could still net ten dollars or $11,000 this year on maybe only fifty dollars or $60,000 worth of sales. We'll see what happens. Moving on. Last topic. Last card topic, at least. Talk about this card trimming. Again, don't have a ton of updates. What I want to do in general is just, I think this, this goes without saying, this goes without saying, but for some of you guys, it might, it might have to say this. Okay, for, for I, again, we got a lot of you guys, some of you guys have been listening for a year, two years. Some of you guys have been super loyal. Uh, NASCAR Radio, uh, Martin, um, Dan from uh, Seattle. There's many of you guys that have been listening for a very long, long, long time and don't need me to give you this message. But there's some of you guys that have like a sickness in your head from these trading cards. So this message is for you guys. Any card, I'm talking about any card that is, I'm just going to say over $500 that regularly sells for over $500. I don't care if it's in a PSA holder or not, but especially if it's in a PSA or BGS holder, it is trimmed. It is altered. It might be fake. Period. I'll say it again, any, any card, and I'm, I'm throwing kind of arbitrary number out there, but I think it's probably close to accurate. 
any cart over $500, regularly trades for over $500, it is trimmed, altered, fake, period. Or maybe it's not graded properly. Should be a PSA 8 and it's a PSA 10. Period. Keep that in mind when you're buying this stuff. It is trimmed. It is altered. It is fake. It's not graded properly. Period. This is why I focus on the $1 card, the $2 cards, the $3 cards. Can you make a bunch of money and, and throw, uh, you know, have two Rolexes and a Mercedes and a BMW if trading $1 cards? No, you probably can't. But how many guys trimming these cards have Rolexes and Mercedes and nice lifestyles? They're all broke, guys. These guys are all broke. That's why they're trimming these cards. These guys have a perfectly uh, fine card that will sell all day long for a decent amount of money. And what do they have to do? They have to trim it. They have to touch up the autograph. They have to replace the patch out of it because they're fucking broke. So there's my public service announcement. And that, that, that is a perma public service announcement. I am not going to, I'll let you know when I take that off. I've done this in the past. A couple years ago, many years ago, it was with Topps baseball cards. I've probably done it with Panini before. I've done it in other segments of the hobby. Right now, it's anything that's worth decent money, in my mind, $500 above, I'm not touching. I, I mean, I wasn't touching it before, but God knows I wouldn't touch it now. It's trimmed, it's altered, it's fake, period. And a lot of people are wondering... You know, is this going to keep going on? Do I always have to, you know, do I have to do five hours of internet research if I want to buy a $1,000 card? Yes, you're going to have to do that. The reason for that is because of greed, period. And some of it is just natural human nature. This past week, PSA, Parent Company Collectors Universe, reported fourth quarter earnings to investors. And it was an absolute blowout winner of a quarter. PSA processed more items, made more money, had more revenue, and have more cards in their backlog than ever before. This is all during a time when the New York Times, the New York Post, uh, Darren Rovell, blowout forums, the FBI, and everybody has their attention on graded trading cards and not in a good way. PSA printed their best quarter ever. And hey, if they had a couple bad years in a row, or if it was a business that was just starting out, wouldn't be that impressive. But guys, PSA has nine years, nine years of growth, not nine quarters, nine fucking years of growth inside the autograph and card category. And they just had their best quarter ever when everybody was shitting on them. Newsflash, newsflash, newsflash. What does that say to me? PSA's brand is about as strong as your guys' dick when you pull a nice card. PSA's brand is probably as, uh, as strong as Apple's is in the phone business, as strong as Nike's is in the sneaker business, maybe even stronger. Do I want to be on this podcast saying this? Do I want to be on this podcast 
uh, kind of proclaiming this. No, not really. I want you guys to stop sending your cards to this fucking idiotic company. But the fact is, you guys are greedy as fuck. And it kind of makes sense. It's more or less human nature. If you guys have a card in your possession that you can send a PSA and pay $20 to $50 to get it graded and it would go up $100, it doesn't matter what PWCC has done. It doesn't matter how shitty they grade the cards. It doesn't matter what Gary Mosers has done to cards. It doesn't matter if they're shill bid on. It doesn't matter. Your greed is going to send in that card. And that greed is not going to stop if there's trimmed cards, fake cards, altered cards, shill-bitted cards. Your greed to make your card go up doesn't go away the shittier PSA grades cards. Period. The greed will keep PSA in business, it'll probably keep PWCC in business for some reason. I mean, the motherfucker, all he does is sell on eBay. But it's going to keep going. The cycle's just going to keep going and going and going. PSA's not going to get better at grading cards. They literally give their graders 60 seconds to look at a card they're not going to get bust out a digital ruler, which you can buy on, you can buy a digital ruler on Amazon for like 20 bucks. I use it for woodworking all the time to measure like depth of wood, uh, kind of thickness of wood comes in a really, really handy. You got a thickness planer, you're trying to get like four boards all to uh, right, you know, within a thousand of the inch of each other. It's really easy to do with a digital ruler. Could uh, you totally use, utilize that for trading cards. PSA is not going to do that. They're not going to grade cards any better. Why? Because you guys keep sending them in at record levels. Why in the hell would PSA get better at grading cards when you guys just sent a shit ton of them in a quarter where they were getting blasted by everybody? You guys literally fell over yourselves to send cards into PSA during the last three months when they were getting fucking blasted by the media, by collectors everywhere. Blast it. So in terms of uh, some of the highlights from the call, again, absolutely blowout quarter. And, uh, you know, hey, I respect collectors caring about this. I respect collectors wanting to talk to management of, of Collector's Universe and say, hey, what about these trim cards? But guys... It's literally like asking a batter, hey, why did you struck out in the fourth when you hit a grand slam in the first, you hit a double in the second and scored a run, and then you hit a game-winning home run in the ninth? It's literally like asking a guy, why did you strike out in the fourth? That's literally like asking PSA about trim cards right now. You guys sent them in at record levels. They made more profit than ever before, and they have more cards in their backlog than ever before. And this is all going on when all this trimming stuff is going on. You guys are so greedy. Some highlights on the call. What I thought was probably really interesting is PSA really framed it as PWCC's problem. 
they framed it as like an investigation into PWCC. They said that, I think, even the PWCC investigation or the investigation into the auctioneer. So I thought that was really interesting. PSA basically pointed the finger at PWCC and said the investigation and the trimming is on them. And again, you can sit at home and argue with that and say, no, it's your fault for grading the cards. Well, guys, why in the fuck would PSA change a thing if you guys kept sending them more cards to grade? Lastly, and this is really, I think, easy to understand why a lot of you guys get boners looking at PWCC's auctions and these $10,000 and $20,000 and $80,000 cards that sell on a regular basis. You guys get boners of it because you wish you could have that card or you want that card or maybe you have that card and you get a boner looking at these completed sales. That's a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the market, period. High-end trading cards is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of trading cards. PSA grades 2 million plus cards a year. I would guess, honestly, 1% of them end up on PWCC's auctions, period. That's why when they asked them, hey, what, what's happened with the PWCC business? The PSA said they're not a big customer. And it makes sense, guys. Big customers are not sending in high-end cards. They're buying 100 Zions for $4 a piece and sending those in. They're getting 100 Pete Alonzo's out of tops and sending those in. That's where the money is with PSA. It's not with these high-end cards. It's with the guy that sends in 10,000 cards, 15,000 cards. Where are you going to get 15,000 high-end cards and send them in? Where are you going to get a million high-end cards and send them into PSA? PSA, again, did 2 million cards last year. You know, just, again, do run the math through your head. How many are quote-unquote high-end? Not that many, honestly. Do they sell for a lot of money? Do they get your guys' attention? Do they get you guys hot and sweaty and get you, you know, get you guys not seen straight and not listening to your wife and all this other shit? Yeah. But does it matter to PSA? No, not one bit. And some of you guys are like, warranty claims, warranty claims. Guys, go on a coin forum and see how many scandals there's been and fake coins that have been graded and this and that that are worth way more than a lot of these trading cards. And coins is close to 60% of the business. It's, like, it's probably at least triple what trading cards is. If PSA was going to get buried in the past, it would have been on the coin side. All these co fake coins and coin scandals that have gone on. These trading cards, and especially high-end trading cards, is a small, small portion of PSA's business. Period. Period. Their bread and butter is, like I said, some guy buys 100 Panini instant cards for $4 each, sends them in, gets 90% 90, 90 of them PSA 10s, the others are 9s, and he triples his money. And the guys are going to do that again and again and again. It doesn't matter what's going on in the high-end world. Guy's going to buy, uh, you know, $105 Pete Alonzo cards, send them in, get, you know, again, 90 of them PSA 10. The other 10 will be PSA 9s and 8s. And he's going he's gonna to triple his money. 
That's where people make money with PSA. Find me a guy buying and selling high-end cards that has a nice watch, has a nice car, has a nice lifestyle. It doesn't exist. These guys are broke. That's why they have to fondle and cut and trim and alter these cards. They're broke. PSA is the one making all the money. So I thought that, that all that was interesting. I ended up penning an article on SeekingAlpha.com. If you want to go there, it's probably one of the most recent ones written on Collector's Universe, uh, ticker symbol uh, CLCT. The title of the article was, I think, something like, uh, PSA is going to escape the scandal with a near-mint grade. Not a gem mint, not a mint, but a near-mint. They're going to take a reputation hit within some within the community, but not many. Because like I said, the vast majority of you listening and the vast majority of people in this hobby, if you have a $5 card and you can send it in and get a PSA 10 on it and it will sell for 100 you don't care if people are trimming cards. You don't care if... P- in fact, you'd probably rather PSA be shitty at grading. So the better chance you get a 10. Now, some of you might make the argument, well, that's going to make values go down. I don't think so, guys. If you're addicted to cigarettes, does it matter if it's $7 a pack or $8 a pack? It doesn't matter. You guys are addicted and you're greedy, period. You guys are addicted to making your cards more valuable, whether it's you're trimming them and doing all that shit, or it's just simply getting a card and sending it in and getting a high grade on it and being able to sell it for more than if it was raw. That's called greed, guys. And it's not going to stop. And so the PSA train is going to keep rolling right along. Any of you guys out there that thinks, oh, some grading companies are going to start up and challenge. No, they're not. No, they're not. I've talked about this on the show before. I've given you the million dollar idea. Don't try to start your own grading company. That is absolutely moronic and stupid. I don't know why you would want to do that. There's already two entrenched players, and just like we saw, they can have the worst PR quarter ever, and you guys are still fucking sending cards in as fast as you fucking can to these companies. But what you should do is start like a CAC in coins. They take PG, PCGS coins and stick a sticker on it, and that's what you should do. Don't start your own grading company. Just say, hey, I'll take your PSA card and I'll tell you the dimensions of it, tell how likely it is if it's been trimmed or altered, maybe even do some back checking on it if it has a serial number or some provenance, and I'll tell you the price history of it. I'll tell you if I think it's been trimmed or if it's been altered or if it's been tampered with. And if it hasn't been tampered with, if it's not trimmed and all that, to the best of your knowledge, stick a fucking sticker on it. And I guarantee you, there's guys out there in the card world, just like there is in the coin world, that will pay a premium for that. Just search CAC coin authentication in your Google and start learning about what's out there. 
That to me is the service that is needed in the trading card hobby, not some other grading card company. We don't need another dumbass grading card company. You're not going to be able to grade cards better than PSA, period. Even though they do a shitty job, you yourself are not going to do a better job. But what you could do is layer on a service on top of that, just like they do in coins, just like a company does in coins. You could do that too in cards. You could measure the cards. You could say, you know, hey, this is graded PSA 10, but it's not quite as centered as, you know, it's really 85-15 uh, centering or 90-10 centering, whereas some of these other copies are 50-50. And that's what the coin guys do. There are some coins that are, there. you know, there's 10 coins graded PCGS 70. But then there's like two or three that have a little bit better eye appeal, a little bit better strike. Couple, you know, le- you know just no imperfections. Those get the CAC sticker and they tend to sell for 10, 15, 20% more than the ones that don't. So there's my million dollar idea. It would make a million dollars if you guys actually would do it. But again, most of you guys are so, you know, uh, you're so stuck in your ways. Or you think starting USA G grading company, you know, I'm going to take over PSA. Yeah, right. You're not. There's millions and millions of cards out there slabbed in PSA holders. Why don't you go after that market? Instead of trying to start a new market, just go after the market that already exists. There's millions of cards graded by PSA. They do a shitty job or an inconsistent job, depending on uh, you know how big of a fondler you are. And you can start a company where you can say, hey, these ones are actually, this PSA 10 is probably nicer than almost all the other PSA 10s out there. I think that would be an interesting business. So that wraps it up on today's show. Again, we're in 2019. We're trying to make 2019 your best year ever. I'm hopefully you're able to do that. For me, it's been about spending more time with my family, working less, making, I'm making way less money than I did last year. And by way less, it's, you know, 10, 20%, somewhere in that range. But at the same time, I've introduced a couple extra revenue models, most notably buying stuff uh, used and selling it on eBay, uh, uh, you know, snap selling. Been doing that over the past couple of months, uh, introduced a couple other uh, websites and things like that that have made some money for me, done a little bit of football ticketing and selling. I actually made a lot of money off Zion's first uh, preseason uh, summer league game. Uh, he actually only played, I think, a quarter in the game, and the game got canceled. And I made, uh, I think, like eighteen hundred bucks or something like that off not that many tickets. Um, so, and I remember watching ESPN, and they were talking about how high the ticket pricing was, and it was like, "Yep, uh, I benefited uh, from that." So, I've probably made uh, since Zion's drafted. I've probably made well close to three thousand dollars just because of Zion Williamson. So that should tell you something. I am trying to have a a year where I'm spending more time on my family, making less money, and I still, still find an opportunity to make money off Zion Williamson. If you have made $0.00 off Zion Williamson, wake up. Wake up. The money is just pouring in. Now, do you need to buy all the games? All the I only bought the one Summer League game. Bunch of people bought his game too and lost a bunch of money, obviously, because he didn't play. 
and there was an earthquake. Don't get greedy. That's what I see a lot of times in this hobby. So you guys get greedy. You guys get a $1,000 card and you want to trim it and, and do this and that to get it to 2000 Go to any, any, any sports card event where there's dealers there. Find me one that looks like he's doing well and balling. You won't. You won't find one. It's because you guys are all so fucking greedy and so stupid. Low IQ. There's a handful of guys out there that are smart and making money, but those guys, trust me, are few and far between. Twenty nineteen, it's all about carving your own path to success, setting your own goals, and setting your own bar of achievement. And I think it's important to maintain that as the year goes on and on and on. Again, right when this year started, I said I wanted to get I had two goals actually. I wanted to spend more time with my family, spend as much time with my family as possible. My kids are never gonna be two and three years old, you know, two two years old and six months ever again. Can I make money, as much money as I want for the rest of my life? Yeah, probably. I think the odds of that are, are pretty high. I'll be able to make whatever amount of money I want to make in the future. But what is 100% fact is my kids are never going to be this age ever again. So for me, spending as much time with them as possible is paramount every single day. That's why when I record these podcasts, they're both fast asleep. When I do anything work-related, it's almost when they're asleep. Now, occasionally, I have to box up stuff and package up stuff. And I often do that when I've got one of them eating. And I can kind of sit there, watch them eat, and kind of package some stuff up. But other than that, it's family time 24 hours a day. That was my goal starting of the year. I also wanted to change my diet completely. I had worked in some healthy foods into my diet, and, and 2019 was all about taking that to the next level, eating almost all healthy foods. And I have days, I was just at like a wedding, and I had prime rib and mashed potatoes, and it was amazing. And uh, my family's addicted to pizza, so um, th that's not necessarily healthy. And uh, I have some other, uh, I've kind of given up candy. I like to drink a Pepsi every once in a while. Uh, so I still consume some foods that I wouldn't say are healthy, but I consume way, way less of them. And now I'm eating bananas, grapes, carrots, uh, you know, or brown rice for dinner and peas and just all kinds of just healthy foods every day. And I don't have a gym membership now. I used to have a gym membership. Don't have a gym membership. I don't work out. I don't uh, over, you know, I don't, you know, consciously try to get exercise. And I've lost, uh, you know, close to 30 pounds this year, all based on my diet. I haven't seen it translate over into energy. I'm still exhausted at the end of the day, chasing around my kids, taking care of them, often holding one of them, the youngest one. I make dinner a lot. I, I pride myself in being a good cook. 
being good at barbecuing, good at, at, at really everything. I make dishes out of the oven, on the skillet, on the barbecue. I, I have numerous things that I can make at a high level. Um, so I don't have a lot of energy at the end of the day. I'm thinking about starting and drinking coffee, obviously with no cream and very maybe very little sugar. Just to kind of give me that energy at the end of the day. Right now, I find it through drinking soda, drinking a, like a can of Pepsi. I'd like to maybe take that out because I think a cup of coffee with a, a splash of sugar in it would be less calories, probably a little bit more healthy. Give me that little caffeine boost that I need. So we'll see. But again, we're, you know, we're into the basically the last quarter, last couple months of 2019. If you have listened to this podcast and taken my advice seriously, you have benefited. I know a lot of you guys, the ones that comment on our Facebook and sometimes our Twitter and, and, and other places, you, you know, you laugh at the show or you, you, you don't get it. Or I say one disrespectful thing to you or the card community and you lose it. And you've missed nine months of motivation to make 2019 your best year ever. But I know that some of you have taken it to heart. And so for the few of you that have taken it to heart and actually put in a plan, a process, and had some patience to execute on your vision, I challenge you over the last three months, take it to the next level. We're not trying to have a good 2019. We're trying to have your best fucking year of all time. So for me, like I just described, I'm trying to turn I'm trying to turn up Amazon because I feel like it's a, a it's a it's an opportunity I have in front of me. I have the credit, I have the knowledge, I have products that I can be buying and I know what kind of sell through I can get over the next 3 months, so I'm going to go all in on it. It's going to take a little bit more work than I've put in uh, before, but it's still going to allow me to spend as much time as I can with my family. And that's what I'm looking forward to. We've got Halloween coming up. We've got Thanksgiving and we've got Christmas. Those three holidays kind of bam, 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 bam are obviously big when you've got little kids, especially Halloween and Christmas. So I'm going to soak those in and enjoy those as much as I can. And then we're going to go into 2020 and we're going to set new goals and higher goals and and, and kind of work towards something uh, then. But let's finish 29. That's today's message for you. Finish 2019 as strong as as you've gotten here. If you've been slacking, you need to pick it the fuck up. If you've steadily grown, let's stand up tall and start taking some big giant steps forward. So again, for some of you, it's maybe a business. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you're like me and you want to, you know, you want to spend a little bit more time with your family or do this or do that. Let's take some big leaps forward. So that's what I'm going to be looking forward to do over the next three months. Will it allow me a bunch of time to get here on the podcast and blow uh, three hours or two hours or however long we've been here? Probably not. But we've been around 11 years and we'll be around, uh, God willing, another 11 and probably a little bit longer than that. Talking about the hobby, talking about buying and selling, talking about uh, different kinds of things on this program. Again, this podcast doesn't tell you what to buy. We're not going to tell you who to collect. 
We're not going to tell you what came out this week or what's coming out next week. That's why this podcast is not for everybody. Little boys, card fondlers, card trimmers, guys that, you know, can't take a joke, can't take a little, uh, you know, self-deprecation, things like that. This show's not for you. But for real men who want to make money, who want to improve their lives, all while being entertained, this show is for you. So hopefully you guys had a good show. Hopefully you guys have a great holiday. I know we had a three-day weekend for those of you guys that rise and grind and work. Um, I'll actually be doing a little bit of work. I, like I said, I got some volunteering this week that I normally do, but then I got a, a one day where I'm going to be there almost all day. So, um, yeah, I got some hours I got to put in this week, but it'll be kind of fun and, uh, going to, you know, do some things with my kids. I got the golf course. I think I got a golf course trip planned with my oldest son. And, uh, you know, cause I saw the other day, Tiger Woods, by the time he hit age three was already breaking 50 on nine holes. And, uh, my kid can barely hit the fucking ball. So we're going to try to try to improve that so he can uh, start catching up to Tiger. Uh, cause God knows, uh, my son's going to be catching him, uh, whatever many majors Tiger gets. Uh, that's what my son is going to be shooting for. Uh, whether or not he gets interested in golf, I don't really care. I just haven't been out there in a while. Uh, and it would be nice to, to step out there. And we've actually had some low 90s weather, which is kind of cool for out here in California. If you get out to the course before noon, uh, you might get out there when it's only in, in the 80s or so. So we'll get out there, chip around a little bit, putt around, maybe go get some lunch, come back, take a nap, um, and do all that. Hopefully you guys are having a good day again. Don't buy any cards that are priced over a couple hundred bucks, period. And if you do, just know it's trimmed, it's altered, it's fake, it's not graded properly, period. End of story. Don't You don't need to go post it to Blowout. You don't need to go to Terapeak and Worth Point and go find the, the gurus on Twitter. You don't need to email me or tweet me what, what I think. It's fake, it's altered, it's trimmed, it's not graded properly, period. So keep that in mind next time you're buying one of these expensive cards. The rest of us will be buying $1 and $2 cards and selling them for three or four a uh, couple weeks later and doing that regularly while we uh, sit in our uh, you know brand new Mercedes and, and stroke our Rolexes. Uh, well, you know, polish those up as, uh, you know, we're watching you guys chase this quote unquote high end stuff, which is really a fraction of the market. This high-end stuff, yeah, it gets the attention. It sells for decent money, but it's a fraction of the market, guys. And there's nobody, nobody, nobody trading that stuff. There's nobody buying that stuff and then flipping it, buying and flipping, buying and flipping. They're not doing it. There's nobody doing that. The guys that make money are the guys that focus on the low end, the Burbank cards, the check out my cards. PSA, essentially, you know, they, they grade a shit ton of low-end, quote-unquote, low-end cards. They grade a ton of $5 cards that turn into $30 and $50 bills when they get PSA 10s on them. And that's what they do all day long. Tops and Panini, you know, these companies don't make money on flawless and national treasures. How do they make money? They make money with Series 1, Hoops, Donruss, Score, Series 2, Stadium Club, these kind of sets. They don't make money on the high-end stuff. I mean, do they make money? Yeah. But where they make millions and millions of dollars is this low-end crap that you find at Target and Walmart. Period. End of story. 
So if you want to make money in this hobby, stop paying attention to what PWCC is doing and what the, you know, these quote-unquote high-end cards are doing. That's not where you're going to make money. It's going to be the low end. It's going to be stuff where you can replenish it over and over and over and over again. It's hard enough finding one of these unaltered or cards in good condition, let alone, uh, you know, 10 of them or 100 of them. But you can buy 100 Lonzo Ball cards for a dollar all day long and sell them for 2 and $3 two months later all day long. And this is Lonzo fucking ball, let alone, like, players that are actually good and don't get hurt. So that wraps it up. Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. We'll come back some other time, some other place. Don't expect it anytime soon. But if it is, we'll see you then. But until then, we are out of here.